Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today we continue our studies in 1 Thessalonians, Paul, the Gospel and the Church. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart. We'd love for you to join us over there. Good morning to you. Lovely day today and uh, I hope that I can help you to start your day uh, with something that uh, will give you uh, good food for thought for today. And uh, my question, I suppose, that I might ask today is to start with what is God's will for you? And a lot of Christians and a lot of people kind of think, well, you know, what is what is the great plan for my life? What is God's will for my life? And we can think it's some kind of mysterious thing that we have to discern. Well, it tells us in the passage that we're reading today what God's will is for our lives, at least three key things that are part of his will for our lives. It says in 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That triplet of being joyful always, praying continually, giving thanks in all circumstances are God's will for us in Christ, it says. And uh, so what that means is that Jesus did those things. Jesus was joyful. Jesus prayed continually. Uh, Jesus always gave thanks. Uh, but furthermore, because we have vital union with Christ, therefore we are enabled now also to do those things, to be joyful always, to pray continually and to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I want to spend a little bit more time today looking at this injunction here to rejoice always. And as we think about Jesus, of course, it's so true, isn't it, that he did rejoice uh, we found find that he is anointed with the oil of joy. We read in Luke 10 that at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus had no possessions. Jesus had no home. Fo a fox had a better home than Jesus. Jesus had to go and borrow people's beds. And yet, despite all of that, Jesus, although he was also single, uh, didn't have a wife. Nevertheless, he was joyful always, uh, not uh, because he didn't have a wife, I should add quickly. Yesterday was the 24th uh, anniversary for Kate and me of our wedding. We had a wonderful day and celebrated uh, that together, which was fantastic. Um, and uh, I mentioned to my own daughter yesterday that as we were driving in a car to get uh, a, a takeaway, um, that Actually, if I had to choose, I said that my uh, getting married to Kate was the second best thing that's ever happened in my life. And the first was becoming a Christian. And then I reflected that if I had to choose, and thankfully I don't, but if I had to choose between knowing Jesus and knowing Kate in marriage, then there is no question that I would have chosen knowing Jesus because the joy is even greater than knowing Kate. Now, the wonderful thing is that I'm like the cat that gets the cream because I get both. But knowing Jesus is the greatest joy. And for Jesus himself, of course, he had joy despite having no possessions uh, and yet joy uh, unbounded. Now, there is a question, though, and I want to just look at this today particularly. Was Jesus always actually joyful? Was he always rejoicing? 
And I would suggest that there are times in Jesus' life, and there will be in ours, when actually joy is not the predominant affection in our soul. If I put it a bit like this, you can have an eclipse. The sun is shining. Sun, the sun is like the joy in our lives. It's that big thing that's shining. But there are times when something will eclipse that joy partially or even for a period completely. Now, the joy is still there as a structure in our universe. The joy still abides, but sometimes it can be so overwhelmed by things that actually the predominant affection that we feel at a moment may not be joy, but actually joy is still there, but actually there's something else that is overwhelming it. And sometimes those things are appropriate and right, and actually the right thing that we should allow those things to eclipse the joy that we are experiencing. And certainly for Jesus, that was the case. In Matthew 26, we read uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow. There was an eclipse of his joy by sorrow, by the pain of the impending cross. Now, Jesus, for the joy set before him, went to the cross. The joy was still there. There can be joy in the midst of pain. But it begs the question for us, are there things like the moon that can legitimately, for a period, eclipse our joy? And I would suggest that there are. And in particular, I want to mention three things, and I may only just spend to speak about two of them this morning for the next four minutes. There are three things I think that can legitimately eclipse our joy. The first is when others are grieving and in pain. It tells us in Romans 12 that we should rejoice with those who rejoiced and mourn with those who mourn. Now, that's in a passage where it also says, be joyful in hope. But then it says, yes, you can rejoice with those who rejoice, but mourn with those who mourn. It doesn't help when someone else is going through pain and grief, when you are with them, that you are full of the joys of spring. It tells us in Proverbs that, you know, he who greets uh, a person early in the morning loudly, it will be taken as a curse. Sometimes it's inappropriate to be loud and joyful and just, oh, come on, it'll be all right. Cheer up, cheer up. It's OK. That doesn't help at all. Job's comforters didn't uh, comfort Job in an appropriate way. We need to know how to mourn with those who mourn and not just to put on a face, but genuinely to feel the pain and sympathy and empathy with that person in their mourning and in their grief. So that's the first thing. And the second, the final thing I want to mention to you this morning that can eclipse our joy for a season can be pain in our own life. Not pain in others, but pain in our own life. And that pain can come from various sources. It can be grief that we have experienced or are experiencing. And though we don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope, as it tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, yet we do grieve. And that can eclipse our joy for a period. But 
we can also grieve at the pain that we feel when we see other people making a mess of things and we feel the pain of that. So Jesus wept over Jerusalem as he saw the Jews making a mess of their destiny and of their their opportunity to receive the Savior. He he mourned over them. He wept over Jerusalem. And we, too, can feel pain when we see family members who are making a mess of things. And it hurts. We should we should hurt when we see that we should long and cry out and feel the pain of that when we see fellow Christians making stupid decisions, making a mess of things, not walking as they should. We will feel the pain of that and and long for something different in their lives. When we see the world and we we see the injustice and the hate and the rebellion in the world and we turn on the news, we should feel the pain of that. And I want to just finish with one reference that I think is helpful in this regard. And it's in 2 Peter and uh, chapter 2. And it tells us that Lot was a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. And it tells us in brackets that that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Lot saw lawless actions and behaviours and heard of them. And it says he was tormented in his righteous soul for that. And and folks, we should we should feel the torment and the pain of a messed up world, of messed up lives. And we should allow that to live with us and we should grieve for that and we should pray for that. And we should sense the pain of God and the anger of God against those things. And therefore, there will be an eclipsing of joy, though actually in that pain, there is still joy in our universe. But actually, God wants us to be a people who are crying out for revival, that lives will be changed and that there would be joy uh, around us because of the grace of God. And so let us pray right now, if we could. And uh, Lord, I do want to thank you that we do have joy deeply embedded in our universe. And uh, Lord, nothing can take that joy away. And yet we do feel the pain sometimes of those who are grieving, those who are going through uh, difficulties. We pray for those right now who we know who are mourning and we pray that you would comfort them and be with them. And we pray that you'd help us to be those who mourn with those who mourn. And also, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to share the pain that you have for a broken world, for broken people, and that we would pray together for the change that you want to bring in their lives so that actually our joy may be complete as we have your joy in these things. So we just commit these things to you and we ask you, Lord, to be with us today and to know your presence with us in Jesus name. Amen.